This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello and welcome to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by a fellow partner at Acadia, Jack Ogilvie, who coordinates a team that designs service solutions for clients who are looking to make the best use of every marketing dollar, whether that is through SEO, performance media, Amazon and retail media, analytics or organic social. Jack has the good fortune to speak with over 10 brands every week about their marketing issues and needs. And combined with 16 years in the industry across all functional areas, this allows him to pattern match quickly and ask some great questions. Before Acadia, Jack started and built digital marketing agency Techwood Consulting, which was acquired by Acadia approximately two years ago. Welcome to the show, Jack. Hey, thanks, Kiri. Nice to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. You've got a really interesting background. You were there at the early days of SEO. What else do you usually add into that short bio that I read out? Yeah, sure. I mean, on the personal level, married with three little kids, which creates a fun, busy life. So we've got an eight, six and a four-year-old and didn't have those kids when we started Techwood years ago. So things have changed a lot on that front for the better, for sure. And then, yeah, I think that just other color would be, I've had the good fortune of knowing the Acadia founders for over a decade. So tons of trust and tons of excitement around what they were wanting to do and just super excited to be part of it. And yeah, it's super fun to get to do more than just SEO and paid media now too. Yeah. Yeah. And what does your role look like at Acadia today? Yeah, sure. So my role is typically meeting with new potential clients where they come in and they may have a business problem they're trying to solve, typically around some form of growth, like they need to create some growth for their business. And then I get to listen closely, ask a lot of questions, get to kind of know the complexities of the challenges they're trying to solve, and then help introduce them to amazing people on our teams that can help them solve those problems. And so I think Acadia does a great job of really saying, hey, this is a problem that we can help solve. And here's the right mix of kind of how we would approach it. Or, hey, we may not be great at solving all of the challenges you're looking at. And here's what we can help with. But it's doing that and then kind of helping present that back to them and, you know, hopefully helping them find a way to move ahead with Acadia. Yeah, definitely. I was just, just before this, I was speaking with the head of Omnichannel and retail media at a large CPG brand, and they've got a full in-house media buying team. And so that's a very different, they have different kind of needs around analytics and measurement, which we're going to get to then let's say like a D2C brand who is really needing to evolve their business model and their customer acquisition model compared to what was working for them just in the last few years. So actually that was something I wanted to ask you about was you've seen over your career journey firsthand really the online commerce industry evolve a lot. And what I have gathered from speaking with more tenured digital folks like yourself is the rapid rise and eventual fall of various marketing tactics. And then some of them seem to come back into favor later on as well. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to hear from you what tactics or channels or strategies sort of seem to be sort of waning right now versus on the rise. Yeah, it's a great observation and really interesting question because they do kind of do that. You'll have some that during the moment in time that you're in, they are just the right medicine for many brands and then others that 
you know, fall by the wayside for seasons and then, you know, reinvent themselves and come back. So I think right now we're in a season where paid social has been just changing a lot. If you go back, I think at this point now, it's more than 18 months ago with the kind of the data breakup between iOS and then any app based advertising platform. So which would be most, if not all of paid social where user data was just user privacy was enabled so that users didn't have to share their specific data with those platforms, which the value in paid social for the longest time had been the specificity at which you could reach your target audience. You could get very, very, very close to exactly who you were looking for. And so for a D2C brand where you would say, hey, maybe I sell a luxury good, maybe I sell it to more, you know, let's say middle-aged men who have children who have higher income jobs, who drive a certain type of car, I could get right next to that audience on social. I could serve really great content with high levels of confidence, and I could get a return on my marketing spend that was anywhere from six to eight times. Meaning if I spent a dollar, I would expect to see six to eight in return. Mm -hmm. And so that has changed a lot. Like I would say that with the absence of that uh, richness of data, it's a lot looser, the targeting. And so what has happened to the ability to drive those returns is they've come down significantly. They're now down to anywhere from a dollar to $2. And so for brands, that's really challenging. Like they, a lot of brands had built profitable revenue streams with Facebook and Instagram advertising or other paid social channels that they now have to kind of rethink. Right. So what tactics sort of seem to be coming back or like, what are you seeing those brands get more interested in, in in terms of customer acquisition? Yeah, I would say that, well, I think that there are certain channels that brands have probably, I wouldn't say neglected, but just have placed less of an emphasis on. So I'll give an example of one that was very popular in 2008, 9, 10, 11, and then went through its own moment of this in 2012 to 14, which is search engine optimization or SEO. So early on, the ability to rank well on a search engine in the non-paid listings on Google was very valuable, and it still is. It hasn't lost any value, but it was new, and it was a new way to create growth that brands had not had access to before, and it was very profitable. And that industry kind of went through a lot of ebbs and flows. And so that strategy today is as valuable as it's ever been, and you see more brands starting to look and say, okay, well you know, what, if anything, have I done with SEO? Like, you know, how much content do I have on my website? How am I mobilizing my content to help me create authority on my website so that I can rank well? Am I coordinating my PR tactics or any of my digital initiatives that are happening outside of my website in a way that they can help Google and other search engines pay more attention to my site and to rank it well? And so, I mean, you're seeing things like that start to really kind of get revitalized and come back to the forefront. I would say things like email, for example, which again, in the last five years has just gotten so much better. But yet, you know, when you look at lots of client accounts, often is an underutilized channel. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I get this more often than I would like, where I get an email from a brand that I've bought from, and I realize you do not know me very well. In fact, you don't know much at all about me, even though you have my data I've bought from you. So And so, I mean, things like that, where it's like you can help clients with email campaigns and to really create meaningful customer segments based on what they've bought when they last bought it. Just a super quick example, like let's pretend it was a running shoe store. 
and you know that the shoes run out, like at some point they wear out, you know about the frequency the person buys them, you definitely know what they like to run in, you know if they buy food or supplemental products from you or not, like are they a short distance runner or a long distance runner, and I think with a little bit of data organization, you can do so much cool stuff with that and really start to segment your customers and send them really powerful messages about like send the trail runners, the trail running messages, or send the triathletes, the triathlete messages. Let's make sure that the suburban runner is getting the renewal for the shoes and coming back in. So stuff like that, where I think brands are saying, you know, I'm not sure that we're fully optimized in these areas and we really need to, we really need to dial it up. Like we need to pay more attention to that. Yep. With your background as well, Jack, you have a good foundation for pattern matching and having seen some of these movies before, like what we're going through now must look similar to some other sort of trends you've seen come around before. From that perspective, what are some of the predictions that you have for the next couple of years? Yeah, thanks. That's a great question. Well, I think one is upon us at this exact moment. So just to be very literal, if you take an ad platform like Google, for example, I would say that this is kind of an area where the ad platform itself has started to use its own data better to enable more effective media buying. So essentially, Google has rolled out a new part of their advertising platform where they're able to say, hey, we can place the bids to the right audiences faster and better than you can if you can do a better job of telling us what matters to you, you being the end customer. So meaning let's pretend I'm a brand and I have $1,000 a month I'm going to spend on Google ads. I'll just pretend I'm a restaurant for a second. There might be a few actions that matter to me, like getting someone into the restaurant, having them sign up for the loyalty app, download the app, book a reservation, order takeout. And if you can do you know, a good job of kind of tagging those events and helping Google see them and then giving Google some thresholds and saying, I'm willing to spend $30 for a new for a new customer and then $10 to get them to come back and repeat purchase from me. Google will say, okay, well, we can help you place the ads to the right audiences in the right places across our entire suite of advertising platforms, be it Google, YouTube, their display channel, et cetera. Another area just to mention And I want to kind of go back a step to come forward real quick is that I would say that increasingly, particularly for any kind of consumer brands, you have kind of two waves of evolution of people who are starting to either maybe fully rethink their marketplace strategy, as well as the strategy around how do I optimize my marketplace strategy. So Amazon is an area where I would say increasingly we're getting more and more and more interest from brands, whether it's I've relied heavily on D2C and that has changed quite a bit. And then so like, what do I do now in terms of other places I can drive profitable growth? The second would be, hey, on my Amazon channel as a whole, that industry still is, I mean, you would know this better than I would, but newer, it's a newer industry. And so the maturity of the agency support that's out there, you could arguably say there's thousands of great agencies that run Google ads. I would say there are not thousands of great agencies that can run full channel management for Amazon. And so, you know, brands are becoming increasingly aware of that. And these are actually even larger brands, brands that we all buy from and know quite well. This podcast is brought to you by Acadia, a trusted partner for challenger brands who are looking to make the best use of every marketing dollar, whether that is through SEO, performance media, Amazon and retail media, analytics, or organic social. To learn more, visit acadia.io. That's A-C-A 
dia.io. So I'm very new to the non, I guess, non-retail performance media world. (laughs) So just to to stir the pot a little bit, like what I think you're referring to is Google Performance Max. Is that right? Yes. Thank you. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And I've heard, I can say this because I'm in a different channel, but I've heard that it's really challenging a lot of brands, a lot of agencies like ours, because it's not fully baked yet from what I've heard the logic in there and you know it might fill a use case for you know might fill a general use case but if a brand or a retailer has specific goals that they want to achieve it's sort of a you know it's a blunt instrument when you might need something a little bit more surgical it seems like google is taking away a lot of the control that agencies and media buyers have had in the past They are. Yeah, I think, I mean, I can think of a couple examples of clients where they, you know, painstakingly over the course of years with healthy advertising budgets. So, you know, not thousands of dollars a year, but millions of dollars a year who had their accounts in a place where everything was lined up. They kind of knew what they could get, what they could expect from it. The returns were strong. You know, maybe they had a very heavily distributed geographical presence with hundreds of stores they're supporting plus an online e-commerce engine plus other things. And so here comes Performance Max and it's starting to take away some of those controls. And so there's a real panic around that. And I think there tends to just be this kind of adjustment period that you'll have agencies that will say, hey, this isn't going to be a big deal. Let's just kind of roll with it. You'll have others who say, hey, let's test a few things. You'll have others who say like, hey, we probably need to figure this out and embrace this. And I think one of the benefits that we have that's kind of fortunate is we have an extremely close relationship with Google. So we can talk candidly with them and we can understand, is this a change that's kind of a small change or like how foundational is this? And so for those types of brands, you do want to start to embrace and figure out how to work with this new version. Of yeah. Google. Well, I'm seeing there are sort of, there are little tastes of this coming out through Amazon advertising as well. And mm. currently it is, it's optional. There is a, you know, some paint by numbers options with Amazon around, you know, they will, there's some automated campaign opportunities and generally they don't perform very well. So it could be a great option for like, you know, a small brand that doesn't have the resources to hire someone or even outsource to a consultant or agency that really kind of knows their stuff. It can be pretty good. You know, you're not going to get as good a return, but Amazon is doing all the work for you. But if you think about it, you know, Amazon is not necessarily incentivized to give you the very best ROAS through those campaigns, if at all. And that's sort of something, some commentary that I have about brands, you know, who take the decision to allow Amazon to run their ads for them through their managed services. It's like, well, you know, don't, do you not want someone else in the mix who can help hold the big ad giant accountable for what they're doing? Really, their, their main incentive is to get you to spend more on ads. And you could say an agency has a similar motivation. In a lot of cases, agencies are taking a percentage of ad spend. But, you know, I think what is unique about Acadia as well and something I wanted to talk with you about is 
our real motivation is to move ad dollars or marketing dollars to the channel where those ad dollars can perform the best as opposed to like Amazon managed services. Well, they're always going to be pushing more ad spend through Amazon, whereas out there looking at a whole universe of solutions, maybe some of that ad budget is better going to Walmart where you know they're starting to get a little bit more competitive, a little bit more interesting. So Amazon is not going to recommend that. Whereas an agency that has enough scope and enough experience with different channels can make those recommendations, also understanding what the goals of the business are, whether that is driving reach or driving efficiency. I guess my comment, just to bring it back full circle, is we've seen it with Google Performance Max. It hasn't been. Most people are not super happy with it. (laughs) And I think that, you know, maybe I'm like, taking your conclusion further than you'd want to, but how extensively are are we going to see this in other paid media channels as well? I think they're going to have to. Yeah. Yeah, It's funny. Like you're bringing up such an interesting topic because when you look at the history, like where Amazon is right now versus Google is, is a great comparison for a second. Google has done smaller versions of this over the years and they've generally not been very good. And you'd roll them out, you would test them, and then you would say, Let's not give them the controls. You know, it was like optional to give them the controls. And so they've built some fear around that, unfortunately, with here comes Pmax. I think the only and that I would add to your statement is where I think I see a lot of brands having subpar experiences with Google is they don't understand that this is very fundamentally different. Like you have to identify the right KPIs and you have to make sure Google understands those. And then- It does an okay job then. I think it can actually do a pretty good job. But it's so interesting hearing you say, you know, with Amazon, I mean, I agree with you. Like we're seeing some of these initial versions of this that are like Google is what now, 23 years old or something? Or, you know, they've got years under their belt of evolving their ad platform and they know the direction they're heading. And Amazon, arguably, you know, incredibly large company, but just newer in terms of some of that space and so I don't know. It's interesting to see like how that's going to navigate. And to your point, exactly. Like I think the agency is in a unique situation, particularly agencies that are multidisciplinary, where the client says, we need growth. And you're able to look and you're able to say, yep. And I can see that you relied on paid social heavily in 2019. We want to rebalance the portfolio some and, and rethink about maybe SEO or let's like, you know, Amazon, you're really underfunding this and it could do quite a bit more to really kind of advise that. And where I think we're incented more closely with those brands is that we know that growth creates partnership. And so, right. Yeah. Anyway, I think those are some thoughts. So I also think, you know, there's an argument around non endemic brands. I know we've talked about this a little bit and I don't know if you wanted to go there today and, for me to share any thoughts on that, but I think we're increasing. You know what I want to, we could come back to non-endemic brands and have a whole separate discussion on it, but I would love to talk about yeah. something that was on your list, which is AI. And if you'll allow me to get on my soapbox for a second, Go ahead. <laughs> and you, yeah. you can pull me back a little bit, but I've been seeing so much about this on LinkedIn. I'm, you know, big LinkedIn user and I'm seeing all, you know, posts from almost everyone in my feed saying, you know, putting out an opinion. And then this post was written by AI. How amazing is AI? It's going to take over the world. Like all us marketers, we're going to be out of jobs. I (laughs) couldn't disagree more. I think that there is, I've been using a tool called Jasper AI for a few weeks now just to help with 
writing intro paragraphs or like summarizing some ideas or coming up with some questions, can it create a point of view or a real opinion or lay out a real argument that has not been written about on the internet before? Absolutely not. Like there is, it cannot come up with a unique point of view. It's really regurgitating stuff that is out there on the internet already. And then as it pertains to my little universe of helping endemic brands largely sell, you know, show up better and achieve their goals through online retail channels, could AI help with writing product descriptions and coming up with ad creative or even images and things like that? Absolutely. But I think that what's going to happen is ultimately a bifurcation of brands using AI-driven content, which is cheap, it reads well, makes sense, but is completely devoid of any innovation or creativity. And then there are going to be brands who really invest in human-driven creativity and innovation who are going to be able to actually stand out from the pack. So ultimately, I think it will improve the quality of content out there and allow brands like get ahead of finally get on top of all of the content that they need to put on various sales channels. So it will lift, you know, create a rising tide effect, Mm -hmm. but the brands who are, that's going to be cheap and easy to do and everyone is going to do it. So then actually standing out, it's going to require going in the complete other direction, which is going back to, you know, using creative talent to actually do something completely different to whatever AI is spitting out. What do you think? Well, no, it's funny because I... It's the first I, time I've sprung this on you, so <laughs> I'm going no, totally no. off script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. It's good. I agree with you 100%. I think sometimes history teaches us a lot of things too, like the computing power, for example, like the semiconductor opened up exponential gains of growth and computing power. And so, I mean, that would represent a threat to people who used to do complex problems on paper or would feed them into computers that were the size of entire rooms. And, but I don't, I mean, we didn't see that fundamentally erode jobs or, you know, cost an industry kind of a huge setback. It did the opposite. It kind of exploded the growth of something. So I think we're on the front of some really cool explosive growth that sometimes you almost wish these solutions could do a better job. Like, so to your point of content, I agree hundred percent. I think that I've seen it too, and I've kind of tested a little bit, but like these tools are good at aggregating information, coming up with a perspective. They're not perfect. Like when I talk to our SEO team, because they test some of this and look at it, they would agree. Like the tools are okay, but they're not perfect. But I think too, in the concept of data aggregation to enable faster decision-making, it is super exciting. So like, for example, if you're working with a private equity-backed business that has to create a certain amount of growth, and it's very sensitive to that. Like it needs, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter growth. The better than the faster you can get your hands on all of the data that's going to help you make the right decisions and guide the marketing ecosystem in the right direction, the higher the level of impact that you can have. And the amount of time people spend right now trying to get that data organized, to get it into one place, like we are just at the very beginning of that. So many brands don't even have access to that stuff. So I think to be able to have technology that you can you know, organize your data and then ask it questions and it can help you answer them will just speed up decision making. 
Like some of the things that take three to six months yeah. to figure out will happen faster. So I don't know. I think it's super cool. I'm kind of excited about it. I would say dispositionally, I probably lean that way anyway of like, this looks interesting and cool and exciting. And so I will tend to look at the glass half full side of things with that. But Yeah. And that's a more balanced and nuanced perspective. I guess I'm kind of wrapped up it right now with yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of people putting as a marketer, putting content out there that's like completely AI created content. And you're right. The use case goes far, far beyond that. So it's a really great point of view. No, no. I, well, I think it, and it's, but to your point, like in the content creation is where I think we're going to start to see it if we haven't seen it already. I think what's interesting with this, Curie, just one more thought is one of the most frustrating experiences that I have with anything digital. As a digital marketer, you know how the sausage is made when you look at yeah. things. And so when I want to get information about something, we were talking about this the other day. And so I literally posed a question to Google and I posed it to the AI and I asked the same question. What is the best place to, what's the best way to have a fun vacation in Europe with an eight, six and a four-year-old? And like Google spits out listicles with content that's not very good, that has a lot of ads in it. And then the AI tool comes back with thoughtful research with four very specific suggestions that are backed with some pretty good data around stuff that I'm like, actually, my kids would do pretty well in that environment. So I just think it's interesting to think like the ability to understand intent seems fundamentally different. Like you really knew what I was asking versus, you know, you're just not set up to know what I'm asking. So I don't yeah. know. We could And we could digress on this topic more and more, but it is fascinating. Yes, but in t- yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that there's a lot more questions than answers at this point. But yeah, definitely the next two to three years definitely fits the bill there in terms of what's next. We've only got a few minutes left. So we've got a few different topics here that I thought that we could touch on. Which one do you want to spend the next few minutes talking about? Oh, yeah. Let's see here. Well, I think that if there was one thing that I would illustrate, maybe just one that we were talking about was just what are the kind of like in this moment. So we're not you know, putting on our future glasses and looking ahead three years, but saying like, hey, right now, December 2022, what are we seeing more brands doing? Like, where are we seeing them invest more in their portfolios? What shifts are they making? And what should you be thinking about if you're in that situation? I do think that it is just, I would encourage brands to think more about their marketplace strategies, about the diversification of growth in their kind of marketing portfolio, and then the measurement of data. Because I think that I see increasingly that whether small, medium, or large, that brands are underfunding and underutilizing not just Amazon, but some of the other marketplace channels. And so I think that that would be one. The second is just, I think there's a challenge that brands have where they think for me to get my data into one place and to be able to use it, it will take me a year or 18 months and it'll cost a million dollars. And when I say data, I mean, let's pretend, for example, it's an e-commerce brand that's selling through D2C, has some brick and mortar retail, has some marketplaces. And you want to be able to see what's working the best. Like if I spend my marketing dollars here versus there, do my customers move between these two things or three things? Or you're a restaurant and you have even more points of contact with third-party apps and loyalty and things like that. So, But what I see is that brands can get that data mobilized within 30 to 60 days. They can do it for very nominal cost. And then they can start making decisions based on it, whether it's decisions of what do I do next week with my budgets or what do I plan for next quarter? 
or how do I organize data to have high level discussions with my board? It's just how more and more and more brands are getting access to that. And so I think if you're not doing that now, probably your competitors are starting to do that. And I think leaning into that conversation for next year is going to be really important. So that would be one. Yeah, that's a great one. Cool. And then I think that, let's see here. One other thing, you know, we were talking about this thing. I think I like how we can debate ideas and we can, I think both of us are open-minded to having our opinions changed on things. And you were asking me this question, you know, what have you changed your mind about recently? And so, and I think this has been interesting. So to be specific, it would be that as an owner and a founder of an agency that was below 50 people and that specialized in one to two services, you know, you get used to seeing the world through that perspective and seeing like, how can I help with two things and do a good job with two things? And and so I think in those company environments too, where you're, you know, 30, 40 employees, you have probably four to seven people who are pretty powerful and pretty strong. But what's been interesting is being a part of Acadia, you know, knocking on 200 employees, having instead of, you know, four to seven people at the top that are quite talented, it's, you know, 30 to 45 people that are remarkably talented, is how fast you can mobilize around some of these changes and how incredibly effective that can be. And gaining an appreciation for that. I've joked with peers that if I had known that, that you could help clients this much faster by having you know this access to this level of talent on this scale, I would have wanted to have made this move earlier. So anyway, I think that's, that's another just interesting thing of, I used to think big meant slow and inefficient, but I would say we're, you know, we're a mid-sized company, but mid-sized when run well in an agile way, is incredibly effective, especially with kind of some core values around curiosity and kind of embracing some of the changes that are coming. Yeah, I love that. We've both come from these two different worlds where, you know, coming from a specialist agency world to an agency where, you know, there's a whole raft of different specialties that we have and we can kind of move the value prop of Acadia is spending making the best use of every marketing dollar across lots of different channels that we support. And it has been, you know, having been the boss for seven years and having the fate of, you know, 50 people on my shoulders and coming into Acadia and working as a team on lots of new and interesting problems. It's been a great experience in large part, thanks to the founders of Acadia and the other partners like yourself. So really excited to be on this journey with you and, kicking around ideas like this, you know, making each other's arguments stronger or giving each other new ideas. It's been really fun and great for the team and great for our clients as well. Super fun. Yep, yeah. I would yep, I would echo that and say that the top 15, 20 folks that we get to work with are just some of the most enjoyable I've worked with in my career. And that goes down to like the next level of leaders that are up and coming in the company, how we foster that and develop it. And so it's just super cool. All right, Jack. Well, great to chat with you as always, and I'll see you around. All right. Thanks. See ya.